Welcome to the Revolution of Tenderness podcast. I am Joshua Stansel, your host. We are joined today by uh, Simone Rizcala, who is currently the Director of Program Growth for Endow Groups in uh, California. Previously, she worked at St. Mary's Catholic High School in Phoenix, Arizona. She was the Theology Department Chair and also Senior Theology Teacher. She's also an Institute of Catholic Theology Fellow based on the campus of St. Thomas the Apostle in Phoenix, Arizona. And I think, Simone, I can uh, speak for all the listeners when I say, I just wish you would do something with yourself. Just do something <laughs> with your life. What are you, slacker? <laughs> Thank well, welcome. We're, we're very happy to have you here. Um, happy to be here. T- tell our listeners about Endow, for those who may not be familiar with it. Well, Endow is a wonderful apostolate. Sorry, men, it is geared toward women, although I won't tell if you want to get involved. But what we do, the material part about what we do is we produce these beautiful study guides based on um, the writings of the saints, particularly the female doctors of the church, St. Teresa of Avila, St. Catherine of Siena, uh, St. Edith Stein, St. Hildegard, uh, as well as writings on the feminine genius, for example, John Paul II. Uh, letter to women and mulier stigmatatum. So the whole the whole point is that there is this beautiful intellectual tradition of the church, this inheritance in the church, um, that we want to make accessible and enjoyable for the everyday woman in the pew to access. So we create these study guides where where women can mobil- be mobilized into small group communities, although they're perfect for self study as well, and actually access. The, the writings of the saint or the writings in the encyclical, the papal encyclicals, uh, and then have a theologian unpack it for them and explain it for them, um, delve into it a little bit more deeply. And then there are discussion questions. So it's this beautiful blend of the primary and secondary source. And then also because the faith is something to be, that is relevant for my life and is transformative, then I can start to reflect and journal and uh, see why it matters for me and for my life. So the study guides are designed to be read out loud. So they're certainly good to read, but they're also designed to be read out loud in a small group uh, where then you can kind of accompany each other in getting to know the writings of Edith Stein or John Paul II. And with the whole idea that every woman has a feminine genius is what John Paul II kind of term that he coined, although it certainly existed before him. Uh, And that feminine genius needs to be acknowledged and recognized um, and then cultivated. So that's what we do. We help you do that. We help women do that. And how long have you been with Endow? About a year now? I've been uh, less than a year. So less than a year. year. Yeah. But I'm very, very happy to be there. So Now, I noticed in your bio, there's a lot of uh, references to Arizona. Is that where you grew up or did you grow up in California? No, I, I grew up in California, moved to Virginia for graduate school and kind of started my professional church career, if you will, in Virginia, and then moved to Phoenix where my sister was living to teach high school theology. So I was, I've been there for the last six years. So a lot of, a lot of my activity uh, has been in Arizona because the last six years of my life have been in Phoenix. So when I started with Endow last year, I had the ability, the freedom to move back to California, back to my roots. Now, now one thing I do know about you um, is because we've known each other for, I guess, a couple of years, but we've never actually met uh, in person. And we'll get to that a little bit later. It has to do with <laughs> right. communion and liberation, but through yes. the miracle of modern technology. It's true. It's true. You're not my 
first CL friend that I've been friends with for years before meeting in person. So it's just, maybe it's part of the CL thing. I don't know. But. <laughs> Could be. Well, for anyone who's tuning in for the first time and they don't know anything about CL, CL is Communion and Liberation, a um, uh, Catholic movement founded back in 1954 by an Italian priest, Luigi Giussani. Uh, one of the, the challenges that I have, I've mentioned this to you before, is when people <laughs> ask me about, oh, CL, what's that? What, what do you do? Yeah, I, I'm never quite sure what to say apart from just sort of, well, come and see. What, what, how do you answer that question? The way that I answer, I know I, I love that question too. The way they answer it is not so much what do we do, but how we are friends with each other. And to me, that's, that's, so what do we do? Well, I mean, you could, you could be really official and say that the charism is education to Christian maturity. Um, so we're, we're on the path to mature discipleship, mature, mature Christianity, I guess in CL lingo terms, the, the full embrace of the eye and activating my freedom in front of God. Um, <laughs> <laughs> just to throw in some, some CL vocab in there. Um, but Giussani didn't start the movement. Well, he didn't start it at all. The Holy Spirit started it. He, it was a movement of friendship among him and his high school students who had, who had strayed from the essence of Christianity and had fallen into this false dichotomy, dichotomy between faith and reason. And his this kind of prophetic vision of the church, what he understood was happening in the church was that, that the people were living these reductions, uh, one on the one hand sentimentality, um, and then on the other hand, moralism. So I guess a more down to earth way of saying it is that it was, you know, the faith had become something very checkboxy. Sure. People were doing the externals, maybe getting baptized or going to mass and, and so forth, but the lived relationship with Christ, the way that Giussani himself experienced it and lived it and was activated by it had largely been lost. And it certainly had been misunderstood among his high school students who said, well, I, I'm into science. I, I'm not going to be into faith. And he's like, well, what, what, what does being into science, how is that an obstacle to being um, a, a believer? So the movement is a movement of friendship among him and his students that became this very large friendship that now includes you and me, Joshua, where we uh, continue to live out the movement of the Holy Spirit in our friendship and through our friendship experience Christ, which is what the Christian thing is. And so that's what we do. Now we actually do a lot of really cool things <laughs> like New York Encounter, like Revenue Meeting, like AFSI, like all of our initiatives. But, but if we were all just about doing, we would just be one nonprofit or one social service organization among others. But instead we are a people who, who find our identity in belonging to Jesus. And then through that, then we can be creative and the doing flows from our being. So that's, that's how I would answer that. <laughs> Very good. And I, I just, I, one of the things that I love about it is just these sort of happy accidents that happen. Um, you had contacted me, and it's, it's a long story, I won't bore the listeners with it, but it was through a mutual friend of ours, Oliveta in New York, who, um, because I graduated from Arizona State, she thought I was actually still in Arizona and contacted you to have the community invite me over for <laughs> dinner or something. I come to my house for dinner. I thought, oh my gosh, we have a CL buddy in town. You come to, but you weren't actually in Arizona. So. No, I was back in North Carolina. Um, <laughs> But uh, Revolution of Tenderness, of course, is sort of, um, um, definitely follows the charism of uh, CL, which is why um, at the Festival of Friendship every year, and we hope to have it um, online this year because of the uh, COVID-19 
situation, and you will be there. We hope. Yes, I hope um, so. As one of our uh, panel uh, panelists, and we look forward to having you there. Um, if I can circle back just for a minute to your um, to where you grew up and your parents. Now you have a very interesting <laughs> uh, family background. I, you know, I've, I've always been a little. Uh, well, not not a little. I've I've been fascinated by families that have a very particular cultural identity. Whether it's uh, like I have a Nigerian friend, and so he's telling me about uh, the Nigerian culture, and then Irish friends and Italian friends. I'm just kind, you know, <laughs> my background is not really culture specific <laughs> like that, and so I'm always fascinated by by people whose backgrounds are specific like that. You have a very interesting one. Well, thank you for thinking. <laughs> <laughs> it yeah my my parents are egyptians um from the armenian diaspora of cairo so it's a very small minority of people well armenians are a small minority because of well the genocide in the early 20th century but but then the um the armenians who had been scattered and went to egypt are also a minority and there are so few left they're just a handful of Armenians left in in Egypt so my family so it's really actually very cool when you meet other Armenians who are from Egypt um, and Cairo specifically because it's kind of it's just a rare thing and um, actually they made a documentary on Armenians from Egypt and um, my cousin my last surviving relative in in Cairo was in it and then he passed away this year so it was so happy that somebody captured his our family story in this documentary in his life um but that's my that's my experience is growing up nicole and i my sister used to say grew up in little you know some people have little italy but we ha our house was like little egypt so it is very uh, very interesting <laughs> well and i did uh before the podcast like <laughs> what's that mainly my mother i mean she's the she's the character <laughs> Well, now that gets me to the, to the next question. Everyone that I know who is the children of immigrants, uh, they all have hilarious stories about their, their parents. <laughs> it's, our, it's our therapy. Our, telling it's... our stories is our therapy. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, there are a lot of funny stories. <laughs> do, you, do you have one that would be suitable for sharing? Gosh, so many. I mean, I think because of the mistrust of, just the lack of trust of immigrants, because we're survival, you know, we've been hunt, you know, our people have been hunted down by the Ottomans. Mm -hmm. and they, you know, there's a very trauma-inducing right. experience in the 20th century. So there's like a lack of trust. So I guess growing up, I mean, or maybe not even growing up, because you don't really ever get to grow up as, an, as a child of immigrants. But like, any, like, for example, any job that I got or made a job change, you know, the first question is, but is it a real company? Like it's probably not real because why would they want you? What do you have? You know, what do you, <laughs> you know, I remember my first real job out of college. I, they had flown me out for an interview and my mom was convinced, sorry, mom, if you're listening to this, was convinced that it was like a total kidnapping plot. And like, because <laughs> you're just a dumb kid out of college, well, who would want to fly you out to interview? That's for important people, you know? And I'm like, mom, this is America. Okay. This is the free market capitalism like people do get flown out for interviews like it's a real thing and she's like it's not and you'll see like <laughs> yeah you'll see and so that's like the professional I was just now or you know or or even now and getting new jobs and whatnot are they gonna pay you well yeah that's what jobs do they pay but 
are you sure about that? So it's just, it doesn't go, it doesn't really go away. Um, there, I have discovered Instagram channels about like Armenians on Instagram, which has been like, again, more free therapy because you're like, Hey, like, this is like oh, they're like making jokes about it universally. Um, dating certainly in my youth was a horrific experience. I was in my twenties and was late from a coffee date, like a mid afternoon daylight coffee date. And I saw my mom's car, like circling the parking lot and I didn't tell her where I was going. So she didn't know, but she just probably went everywhere she thought I might be. And she just started circling. She asked my sister's prom date for his social security number. No, come on. No, no, no she did. But she, well, first she, for re, the real thing is she, she wrote his license plate number on his car and his driver's <laughs> license and then said social security. And he takes out his wallet as if to show her. And she says, just kidding. Just kidding. You know, but, but like, I'm it's kidding. Just- but yeah. I actually did write your, your license plate number. Right, yeah. So those are true stories, Joshua. There are more, but. <laughs> <laughs> so basically she has this uh, ongoing fear just of you being kidnapped. Everything is a plot to. I mean, every, I mean there's just, the world is out to get you. It is not safe. Um, you are not to trust anyone, but if she heard this now, she'd say, oh, you're so, you're exaggerating, but all mm-hmm. the, ev- all the evidence points to but on the flip side she has maybe very savvy you know and um you know you're you're always going to be a good bargain hunter if you're a middle eastern you know (laughs) just i've learned to really cut costs and (laughs) really my sister's an introvert so she was especially you know embarrassed and humiliated by the like like, why did it take five hours for my parents to buy me a car, you know, because they were just, you know, bargaining and they, you know, just sit down, have a cup of coffee. You're not, we're not going anywhere Honda dealership, you know, so, so there's just lots, I hope they never listen to this, <laughs> but it's true. It's true. Now you have, um, uh, I know you have a, a bit of a background in theater. Um, yeah. Now, did that start in high school? That's my first love. No, it started when I was a kid. So. Oh, a kid. Now, now how, how did your mother feel about that? Well, it, <laughs> <laughs> well, I, you know, she actually signed me up for it and then regretted it after um, it became like a real thing in my life, you know, because I, of course, in California wanted to do the whole Hollywood thing. And she was like, why would I, why would I sign you up for, you know, there's just, you're, you're definitely not going to turn out good if we put you in acting. So, you know, there was always a lot of resistance, you know, every, every show I did, every, there was always a lot of like, why are you going to do that play? Like go study, go, you know, go, <laughs> go do something with your life. But I, in fact, my, the, the major that I picked uh, was just a random, I picked marketing, not because it, I, I at all wanted to be in, in that field, but I, I wanted to be an actress. And so they weren't going to have that. So I just had to pick a major that was easy enough that I could focus on the theater, but also practical enough for them to like, let me do so that Mm -hmm. I could do what I actually really wanted to do. And I had to convince them, this is a very lucrative career. Everyone's, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, so, but no, they they were not happy about it. 
favorite uh, production from uh, from your your past, from high school or college? Uh, what what was the production that kind of stands oh, out? Oh gosh, there's so many. I mean, playing the Wicked Witch of the West, you got to melt. You know, I got to melt on stage. Now, how did they manage that on stage? Uh, a lot of um, they built a, a system where you could actually like go under. You lowered down into the stage. Lowered down, smoke. My broomstick shot off fire, and you know, <laughs> I mean, it was really fun, scaring kids. I heard kids crying from the audience. You know, mommy, I don't like that woman. You know, so that was really um, satisfying as an actor. Uh, <laughs> Terrifying <laughs> children is satisfying. Yeah, I know. <laughs> but I, you know what? I signed more autographs after that show than Dorothy. Oh, I bet. So, yeah. you know? But. Um, I also really love playing, this is not this kind of a, R, not R-rated, but PG-13 show, A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. Oh, yeah. That's a fun show, played Domina, and the review in the paper was, uh, Rascala's performance works because she isn't afraid to be completely clutching and repulsive. And that, that made me proud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 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 you know, so there are a lot of, I mean, it's hard to pick just one. I love British comedies spent a lot of time doing that Shakespeare. You know. When I was speaking of Shakespeare just a couple of weeks ago, um, you were involved in uh, an online production. What was that? Yeah, we, we did a uh, Twelfth Night, uh, Shakespeare's Twelfth Night, which was so fun because playing Olivia, that's a dream role for me. So I was able, never thought it would happen over Zoom. Um, but I think one of the most um, fun things about COVID, one of the silver linings is kind of all the creativity that's coming out of how to use technology. And so being involved in like, you know, poetry slams that CL has put on, um, you know, Shakespeare's Twelfth Night. We're gonna, we're planning another one. We might do King Lear next, um, which I would love love to play Goneril and King Lear. So, you know, I I really enjoyed that, and then we opened that up to the students and the faculty of of St. Mary's, where I used to, where I used to teach high school. So, the kids kids loved it. Ah, that's fantastic. Yeah, I actually, I watched the Twelfth Night thing. That was very entertaining. I, I, I saw you on there and I was really moved because that's a quite a commitment, three hours. on. I was, it was long, but you know what made it worth it was um, uh, the guy, and I forget his name, who played Malvolio. He apparently had spent hours meticulously outlining this little curly mustache thing. He is a hoot. That I just had me in stitches just looking at the guy he, with the little curly, <laughs> the, the curly he's a, he's a great Speaking of high school, though, how long did you teach in high school? Six years. Six, Six years. years. Yeah. What um, What did you like most about that? Well, I kind of, you know, thank God for um, for Giustani's influence and formation because I don't even know that I would have been able to approach it in the same, with the same freedom as I was able to. Um, but he said that teaching is the greatest profession in the world because it's right in the middle of humanity. And I agree, I agree with him. I mean, high school is such a formative time. There's so much potential to like form and shape souls and, and to learn from, from, from the youth. And I, I loved, I loved being in more than the teaching itself. I loved being in the company of these great, of this great humanity, which is, which are teenagers, you know, and, uh, I taught seniors. So, you know, that was, um, its own, its own challenge with senioritis and all of that. But there's such a, there's such a desire. Ad- adults are the problem. I say not kids because they want the truth. They can sniff out hypocrisy. Um, they want authenticity. They want belonging. They're, they're open. They're open. And so, um, 
it's it's kind of the our job to to guide and direct them and to affirm what they're looking for because we're all looking for the same thing. So I loved it. I loved. It. I still keep in touch with my students. Um, I do the crazy thing where I give them my cell phone number after graduation because yikes. Like, yeah, I, I all all of them have it. So wow. I love I love it when I hear from them, which is more often than I ever expected, and um, and it's a great joy for me for them mm. to share their life with me. So yeah, I've had a similar experience with um, strangely enough Italian high school kids. Uh, most of whom are not in high school anymore. Uh, back in 2016, I was invited to give a talk at um, at a uh, GS Triduum. And uh, for those who aren't familiar in the movement uh, of CL, uh, the the uh, the high school wing, I guess, is called GS. And um, anyway, I got invited to to speak, and so they they flew me to Italy, and I'm thinking. And maybe I've talked to this before. I, I thought it was I was going to be talking to like and 45. And we're speaking to like thousands. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like 50 kids in a church basement. And then we go to some <laughs> fairgrounds. We're in an arena where they have the remedy meeting every year. That's awesome. That's and awesome. there's 5,000 kids there. Well, I nearly had a heart attack. I, I just, okay. your, your introversion was just exposed. There you were. Yeah, I'm a behind the camera kind of guy. I don't, you know. I'm, we keep wanting to pull you out. So, you know, um, the day has come. But the, but the, the kids were great and they responded um, in a way I just, I never could have imagined. And after the talk, um, they, they, not all of them, but several hundred of them flooded backstage and uh, wanted to, to meet me. And so we exchanged, um, you know, we, I'm, I have, I don't know, like 1500 Facebook friends who are all these, uh, these, you know, these kids who were there that day. And um, even now, what is it, four years later, I still, like on WhatsApp and, and whatnot, we're still in contact and they'll send me photos. And anyway, it's, it's really- yeah, It's just beautiful, right? I mean- Yeah, it is. I, I don't understand it at all, but, I, mm -hmm. but I'm, I'm very moved by it. Yeah, so you get, you relate to what I'm saying. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, now, something else I've seen you do, you give some really good talks um, on saints. I, I remember one in particular on St. Jerome, which was entertaining <laughs> because he was a bit of a hothead. You know, <laughs> um, he affirms all the anger issues of people out there, and certainly in me. So, relatable. <laughs> now, now, what were these talks um, connected with or connected to? It was a series uh, called Saturdays with Saints, Saturday mornings with Saints, Saturdays with the Saints. So, um, it, for me, it was a great opportunity to um, delve into the life of a saint. To get, a, I get really obsessive before talk. So it was really wonderful to like read as much as you can about a saint before you kind of synthesize and pick up the highlights things that you think people need, would love to know or be helped by knowing. And so with Jerome, it was, a, you know, he's such a fascinating person and so crucial to the life of the early church. So I loved getting to know Jerome and, you know, for people who struggle with patience and uh, tempers and <laughs> just, you know, he's, he's a wonderful saint to turn to for that. So he just, he, he certainly wasn't canonized because he was patient. He was canonized for other things, but <laughs> his anger issues were not, his lack of patience was not what, not what made him a saint, which is really great to, when you really get to know the life of a saint to, to realize, gosh, there, there's all the same messiness and brokenness and hotheadedness as, as everybody else, but, but the Holy Spirit doesn't, um, doesn't bother about that. He has taken into account all of our human faults and stupidities and will fashion something beautiful despite ourselves. So 
Jerome is a great example of that. Yeah, I remember um, during a, the, one of the talks in Italy, this woman came up to me afterwards um, and it was on that, that very topic. She was apparently had a bit of an anger issue herself. And she said, you know, there's no, there's no point in Jesus forgiving me today because I'm a volcano and I'm just going to erupt again. <laughs> and I said, well, yeah, but, uh, you know, volcanoes gave us Hawaii. There you, know. you go. That's fantastic. Yeah. That's and, uh, you know, anything can be used. Anything can be, anything can be used. Um, yeah. When I was speaking of saints, though, do, do you have, um, I know, do you have one or two that, that are particularly special to you? Oh gosh. Well, I do the whole saint of the year thing. So, um, I choose a saint every Halloween to be my, my patron saint of the year. So this year is a St. Rocco patron saint of pandemics. So you are you said, serious? Oh, I'm totally serious. And I remember picking him on Halloween of 2019 going, no offense, Rocco. But I thought, oh, man, I was looking for like, you know, Padre Pio, St. John the Cross, yeah. Mary Magdalene, you know, and I got St. Rocco. And I thought, no offense, I'm sure we'll be friends. But like, you know, <laughs> I really was looking for somebody a little bit more popular. But yeah, the first problem is his name is Rocco. <laughs> and then the second problem Pandemics. Pandemics. He is the patron of pandemics. So there you go, Joshua. I mean, <laughs> and I totally ignored him in 2019. I was, I was just like, <laughs> whatever, dude. And then 2020 hits. And I'm like, oh man, let let me start praying to you because clearly, uh, clearly, I was supposed to have a, pre I was supposed to have a preemptive strike and start praying. But you know, how do you select these uh, these things? I have a, when I was teaching, I had a jack-o'-lantern full of saint names that I had like cut into little strips of paper and it, my students love this tradition. And actually I stole it from a friend in Washington, DC who would have this, all these Catholics, Halloween, big bonfire. And it was this huge ritual of everybody going up to the pot of, you know, it was like a huge pot of saint names and picking a saint and everybody hearing it and clapping. And so it was this beautiful Catholic cultural experience in Washington, DC. So I brought it to my class in Arizona. So I had the jack-o'-lantern and then also Jen Fulweiler has a saint generator website. So you can just go on her website and like click choose a saint for me and then you can get it that way. So I do both. I get two. I get two. <laughs> so I mean favorite saints gosh this is another impossible question um so it's just so hard I mean Giussani clearly big saint in my life even though he's not official uh John Paul II huge last year my saint was Saint Maximilian Colby which we we have a share oh yeah that's yeah. mine yeah. Um, and then I went to go see where Saint Maximilian Colby was executed um so the year that I picked him was the year that I got to go to Poland. Oh, um, wow. Yeah, it was beautiful because I, I chose him. I thought, oh, wow, St. Max, I wonder how you want me to get to know you. And then lo and behold, I had this opportunity to come up to go to Poland and to see see where he was, uh, where he was in Auschwitz. So that was special. Um, so I'm always getting to, I'm an extrovert, so I always want new saint friends and, and so forth. But my go-tos are definitely Padre Pio, uh, St. Anthony, St. George, St. Therese. Um, those are big saints in Egypt too. So those are kind of family saints, St. George and St. Therese, St. Anthony of Padua, go-to, go-to saints. How about you? Well, who's your, who's your, I mean. Um, well, obviously St. Maximilian, uh, I'm a convert. And so I had already been baptized in a, uh, when I was young in a, in a Methodist church. 
So when I entered the Catholic Church, of course, you, you can't be rebaptized. But I was confirmed, and so I took uh, St. Maximilian as my confirmation saint. So I've always felt very, very uh, close to him. Um, St. Josephine Bakita. I uh, sort oh, of came to her late, but I'm a big, yeah. big fan. And when I was in Italy, um, a friend arranged, because uh, my, my Italian is terrible. So I had a friend who actually contacted the convent where St. Paquita lived. And they have a very, very modest little shrine to her there. And they had one nun uh, who spoke English. So she gave, uh, she gave me a tour around there. So I've always felt very close to uh, the... She kind of, she's, she's a beautiful saint, obviously, but... Um... She has that line, I think Benedict quotes in God is love, where no matter what happens to me, I'm awaited by love. And so my life is good. Right. And yeah. I, to me, that kind of sums up my life. I, I feel that when, when I, when I read those words of hers, I thought that is the, that is the Christian faith. No matter what happens to me, my judgment is that my life is good because I'm awaited by love. So. Well, that actually takes us to the festival of friendship, uh, which the in-person the in-person festival of friendship was going to be held uh, in Pittsburgh, like it always is. Well, because of the current situation, that's just not possible. So we're going to put it online and have a weekend a weekend's worth of events. And uh, the theme this year is "You Will Be Found," um, which I think is reflected by what Saint Josephine uh, mm. said. And you were talking to Suzanne uh, Suzanne Lewis, who is the uh, founder and the coordinator of Festival of Friendship about that theme that you just love that theme what is it about that theme that really strikes you i just love it because there's so many there's there's so few things that are proposed out there even in the in the catholic world i have to admit that really strike me and this really did when i saw that that was a theme you will be found i i it just resonated so much with me because i'm tired of making so much effort you know, <laughs> I'm tired. I want someone to just find me. And that's what God did with me. I mean, I had, I, my conversion story is such that, I mean, yes, I was, I was going out into the exodus of, of seeking him and seeking my, who, who am I? And what is the point of my life? And, you know, what am I alive for? And going through all that angsty stuff. Um, but then I found that prayer by St. Ambrose, which really should have been my answer for the saint because finding the prayer by St. Ambrose, um, I found, a, I was kind of loitering around the back of church and found, found this prayer by him that, that goes like this, teach me, O Lord, to search for you. Show yourself to me when I search for you. If you do not teach me first, I cannot seek you. If you do not reveal yourself to me, I cannot find you. In longing, may I search for you, and in searching, long for you. In love, may I find you, and in finding you, love you. And when I found that prayer, I felt found. Because I need him, I need to be taught. Teach me, O oh Lord, to search for you. Because I, I, you know, left to myself, I'm really pathetic. And so I needed... I needed to be found. And I think that encapsulates more of the truth of my experience and more the truth of the Christian experience, which is that in all of our searchings and wanderings, like the protagonist, Yusani says this all the time, like says this, you know, the, the, the Christ is the true protagonist who begs for man's heart. And that's how I felt. I felt like I, I had finally been found. 
And I had been found particularly through St. Ambrose, through this prayer that he composed that resonated so much with me. Like, I'm so tired of all the struggling, like, teach me, oh Lord, to search for you. Show yourself to me, I search for you. It's your problem. I'm your problem. <laughs> so you get to take care of it. And that's how I start my day now. My, my, prayer, my, I don't have a really fancy prayer life. It's certainly not as as sophisticated or mystical as I'd like it to be. But I do start my day with on my knees. At the very least, I say, hello, it's me. I'm your child. And I need you to help me today. I well, help. I'll have to take instruction from that because my problem, and this has been a problem ever, <laughs> ever since I converted <laughs> over a quarter century ago, is I, and maybe, you know, I have an English degree. And so I'm very taken with how things, you know, sort of look on the printed page and it has to read a certain way and sound a certain way. And so I I fall into this trap that I think, well, my prayer has to be some sort of ornate, something that could be printed on on the back of a holy card (laughs) and distributed after mass, you know, and that's just... (laughs) <laughs> just it's idiotic. I don't know why I don't know why I think that, but I, I don't think you're the only one because I have I have another friend I'm thinking of as as you're speaking who's an who is an English major who was the same way for many years and was like it had to if it wasn't up to the quality of a Shakespearean sonnet, it was <laughs> couldn't yeah. be prayer, you know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I totally I I love that you say that. But yeah, it just you know I mean my prayers I even throw in like a forsooth or a hark. I don't know why. It's I beg, I beg of the Lord. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, Your desire is to, to, to commune with him in beauty, but maybe, um, maybe simplicity is good too. <laughs> yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for being with us today. Before we, uh, I, before we go, I did want to ask you uh, a couple of things about Endow. Um, yeah. Has the pand- has the COVID-19 situation had any effect on 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 endow and, and what they do honestly it has it, it has helped endow and what i mean by that is because well in two ways um in one way women are really seeing a lot of women are like oh i i need to be, i need to have an endow group i need to have a place of friendship and belonging where i'm like growing in my faith and and growing in friendship with others but because of covid that sense that that need and that urgency that need that's always there has now become an ur- a more urgent need. So it's been helpful in the sense, COVID has been helpful in the sense of kind of lighting a fire in that, oh yeah, actually this need that I did make a judgment that I didn't recognize that I have is now an even more urgent one. And so I need to take that. And the way that, the way that Endow has responded to that is to start um, online, online Endow groups. So our, our ideal is that women are going to go up and start their own virtual groups while COVID's happening, and then they're in-person groups when, when things are back to normal. But, but in the meantime, we are – so there are women that are doing that, um, but, and we're kind of helping equip them, getting the digital resources to kind of help them move online if they don't know how to do that and learn how to use technology. But, but in the meantime, we just wrapped up a six-week uh, webinar. We did an endowity on John Paul II's encyclical or apostolic letter on the rosary, on the Holy Rosary. Um, and then now we're going through an eight-week or a week two uh, of Edith Stein, of our study on Edith Stein. So, um, so we're, we're doing that every Wednesday at 10 o'clock Pacific time. So if anybody's listening. Uh, What's the website for Endow? 
Um, it's endowgroups.org. Endowgroups.org. Okay. Right. And now, can they contact you through the website? Okay, say, please, yeah, contact me. I would love to hear from you. Simone Rizkala, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Joshua. You're great.